Hello. <laughs> it's Hannah and Amy again. It is. Hello. We're, we, go ahead. Oh, oh. <laughs> rough start there. Um, <laughs> so last week we talked about mice. Yes. This week we're going to talk about things that could eat mice. Right? <laughs> yes. We are going to talk about another raptor, greater than owls to be specific. Cool. Um, they're one of the most common owls found throughout North and South America. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah. So they're pretty adaptable. They can inhabit a large variety of really surroundings all across the United States, whether it's deciduous forests or swamplands or deserts or even tundras like they're found in Canada. Okay. Um, they can be in urban and suburban areas. Their diet is also one of the most diverse out of all of the raptors, according to the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Awesome. So that only makes them more adaptable when it comes to thriving in various environments. Yeah. So in terms of body size, I was surprised to find this out, but they're slightly more robust than a red-tailed hawk. Yeah. You mean like a little bit more stocky? Yeah, they're just bigger in general. Yes. Um, their wingspan is roughly three to four and a half feet. Mm-hmm. I think we've determined this is like the length of a, I'm going to say a first grader. <laughs> I said a third grader earlier when we were talking about this and that's a little, that's a little ambitious. So as long as uh, they're as tall, <laughs> their wingspan is as tall as your first grader. If you don't have an abnormally tall first grader, <laughs> I don't know. It's just always fascinating to determine wingspan. I agree. Yeah. Um, so they're like a mottled gray brown color. Mm-hmm. It's really not one consistent color throughout their body because they really try to blend in with their environment. Yeah. Um, as with a lot of other birds, they're not going to be one set color span of plumage Mm -hmm. it's going to vary depending on their territory range so like up in the pacific northwest they're going to be more of like a sooty dark color Mm -hmm. in the south where it's more arid you're going to find more pale gray owls Mm -hmm. and i think they can be almost white when they are in more of like those subarctic tundra regions yeah Interesting. A response to their habitat. Yeah. Yeah. But regardless, their distinguishing factors are two feathered tufts on their head, uh, resembling horns. That's part of the reason why they have Mm -hmm. the name that they do. But they also very much look like cat-like ears. Yeah. I've always thought of them as ears. I always have two, I think. But the ears are actually located in their head. They're not yeah. <laughs> They're not parallel directly through. It helps them see. Yeah. It helps them see. Helps them hear in a more. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have any like external ears like we would. It's right. It's, it's like all internal and in there. <laughs> and in there. It's internal. Yes. <laughs> the more um, collegiate way to express that would be to say they're internal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, as I mentioned earlier, great horned owls have the most diverse diet of all North American raptors. Um, They're mostly going to aim for like small mammals and birds. Remembering that red-tailed hawk, they picked up like ground squirrels, Mm -hmm. cottontails are on the larger end. Uh, Great horned owls have been known to 
battle with larger prey. Um, they're known as the tiger owl Ooh. because they will even go up against other raptors or they will battle with a porcupine. Yeah. It may end up fatal on both oh, ends. Oh, boy. But apparently they're not afraid of a fight. I guess not. You, you got to do what you got to do if you're looking for a meal or territory. Yeah. Yeah. So they are a sit-and-wait hunter. Mm-hmm. So they're going to find a higher perch. They're going to survey the surroundings. And they're typically going to pick up that prey during flight. Their talons are really, really powerful. I mean, I think it's what makes them so fierce. Sure. Um, I think you mentioned at one point that they're strong enough to snap a spine. Yes. Which can yeah. kill the prey almost instantly. Yeah. So what was it? Twenty pounds of force to open those so, talons like if they've so got them clenched <laughs> but yeah they have enough power to snap the spine of whatever they pick up which is makes terrifying it, it is but it makes it <laughs> i think better in a way because that animal isn't it's an immediate death it's right. not yeah it's not a torturous situation mm-hmm. yeah i agree but i it's mm. good thing we don't have like people-sized owls out there <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, though. Right. Yeah. So owls are typically nocturnal animals. They're going to be seen hunting Mm -hmm. during nighttime hours. But if prey is not readily available, they're going to creep more into those daylight hours. So Mm -hmm. early evening, late morning. In those colder climates, uh, they may store their uneaten prey. (laughs) And they will incubate it to thaw it out later to consume when they need it. So I never knew that about them, and I think that's kind of a... It's a unique adaptation. It is. It's a smart one. Yeah. That's for sure. Because if you think about it, it's more difficult to hunt in the wintertime, I would assume. Oh, yeah. I mean, your squirrels are sleeping for a few days at a time. Your mm-hmm. mice are under the snow. And honestly, like, even during the warmer months, these guys might not be eating every day. Like, you know, it's, it's hard being a predator. Right. That's where the sit-and-wait hunting style really yes. does prove to be advantageous for them because they're not consuming their energy consistently like running after something you're just gonna wait until it's there yeah i i'm trying to remember if i said this in a former episode so forgive me if i did but i had this one situation with a woman who called very upset because um you know we talked about this she had a a great horned owl that would pick birds off of her feeder did i Mm. talk about this before i don't think so okay so I thought the birds thing was a little odd. I don't think they really go after songbirds that often. Not typically, but it is in their diet range. Okay. So, like, she was seeing this bird, this owl. It was earlier in the morning, so. It could be an owl. So, she was upset, and she lived near a large forested area. So, she communicated to me that this bird was just being, quote, lazy. Mm. and needed to go somewhere else to hunt. There's a big forested area. Why not go there instead of her own backyard? And I think I was really shocked to hear someone describe it as lazy because this is... This it's is, really smart and well-adapted. Really it's like us going to a drive through I mean, when you put a bird feeder in your backyard, that's a drive through for all predator birds. And That's a drive through for the songbirds that are feeding on the cedar. Yeah, yeah. It feeds everybody. Uh, yeah, I think we'll probably say that a million times, but bird feeders feed everyone. Yep. So I, I explained to her, you know, listen, this is this bird is adapted. It's realized an opportunity and it's going to stay around as long as that opportunity serves it. 
And <laughs> you can either accept that circle of life approach or take down your feeder and encourage it to move on somewhere else. But right. um, it was really like such a strange misconception that someone called it lazy. I was like, that's not lazy. That is conserving energy. And that's incredibly intelligent. Right. If anything. So it shows how well adapted they are to human behavior. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I just thought I couldn't remember if I told that. I don't know why I would, but I don't know. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously owls are very smart with their hunting behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on a little bit, they are typically solitary birds unless it's coming to breeding season. Okay. That's going to occur... January, I think we had decided upon. They're one of the earliest nesters. I do think they pair up late fall. Okay. Um, but they start their breeding in January. Gotcha. If I remember correctly. If someone wants to argue that with me, go ahead. Just be constructive about it. That's my <laughs> best memory served because it's kind of all over the internet. It's just different. Different resources say different things. Wouldn't you agree? They're more of an elusive yeah. bird and... I think they do have one of the longest periods of time that they care for their young. Yeah. So it's a little like I think overlap. Right. And I think it's very advantageous for them to nest earlier. That way their young can learn the skills that they need to be successful by the yeah. time late fall rolls around. Yeah. Because you're not only teaching your young how to find food, but you're teaching your young how to find food that runs away, that can attack you, that... You know, yeah, I mean, think about their diet range. They're going for skunks that can spray you, <laughs> yeah. and they need to do so without getting It's sprayed. harder. Yeah, it's harder than just living off of vegetation so or insects. And it's easier to hunt on that prey when, they're, when the prey is younger and the prey is more clumsy and True. not as successful. True. It's funny how it all lines up, you know? Yep. So those <laughs> owls got to be a little older than what they're going after mm-hmm. for diets. True. So these mated pairs will defend their territory with a repeated hooting sound. Um, it's typically in the winter before the nesting and in the fall before the, their young leaves the area. Okay. So I'm going to play their hoots. <laughs> and this is a male and female pair. And the male's hoot is typically lower pitched than the female. So we'll see what we're going to try and figure out who's boy and who's male and who's female, I should say. Correct. Okay. So you could hear them together towards the end. Yeah. They little they had a little overlap. They did. And I I always just thought that it would be one bird, like just making the different pitches until you hear them at the end there where they I would have assumed that as well. Yeah. I think the male was the first call and the female came shortly after. Yeah. It was a little higher pitch. I agree. Um cool. But I should have mentioned this earlier, and I apologize, but females are larger than males. So 
you know, they can be distinguished by their call as well, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, but they're, the females are going to go for more of the larger prey, whereas mm-hmm. the males are going to go for the smaller prey. Yeah. Um, huh. And that defies my assumption when it came to red-tailed hawks. Mm-hmm. Because when it comes to caring for the young, male and female greyhorned owls will both care for them equally. Gotcha. So the females will be the one that incubates those eggs. Um, they're going to lay two to three dull white eggs. They're going to incubate them for about 30 days. Mm-hmm. But when they hatch, like I said, both parents are providing that food. So, Well, good, because that's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> and you're bringing them, you know live animals so that's even more work to like hunt that down and then bring it back for babies one to three babies you said yeah typically two to three I would say oh my gosh yeah that's a lot of work good thing both of them are doing it right (laughs) (laughs) um so their nests are typically lined with shreds of natural material sometimes it might be feathers from their own chest but it could also be feathers or fur from prey and they will not build their own nest. They typically choose a nest that has been previously constructed by another animal. Mm-hmm. Like a red-tailed hawk would be a good example. Okay. It's like roughly the same nest size. Yeah. Uh, those nestlings are going to branch at around five weeks. And they will successfully gain flight at around nine to ten weeks. Nice. So they're, they need care for a long time. Yes, their parents feed them for several months. I mean, they don't leave their parents until fall. So if you think of the fact that they're flying at 10 weeks old, I mean, that's just two months. So if they hatch in March from May to August, say, their parents are still helping them feed. Wow. So much work. Yeah. And the branching stage is fun. I know we we've talked before. It just it's yes, such an awkward time for them, but it it's is. also they're exploring. The nestlings and the fledglings or the branchers. They're I would say branchers more so than fledglings. Yeah. Um they're funny looking creatures. Mm-hmm. I mean, their feathers aren't as well developed as their parents. Mm-hmm. They look a little awkward. They've got these Big talons and big eyeballs. Everything's extra big on them because yes. they have no feathers to, like, balance it out. <laughs> or they have feathers, but, you know, they've got a lot of the down as well still. So. Right. Yeah, it's just awkward. But the the branching behavior, it's, it's really neat because with these strong talons that these animals have, they're able to hang from a tree trunk mm-hmm. perpendicular to that trunk. Mm-hmm. So they're walking up and down this tree. They can walk on the tree next to their nest site. Yeah, it's a good chance for them to exercise, you know, their muscles and and um, get the strength they need in order to move and fly as adults. And it's a critical time for them. And I think it's important to note, too, when we talk about branchers being in the same area as humans, Sometimes people will mistake them as a baby in need of help. Yes. Um, If they're not obviously injured or debilitated, give them space. Give them the chance to climb back up to their nest and do what they do. Um, Usually you'll see parents close by. Yeah, they're going to be paying attention. (laughs) Yeah. They're very uh, protective over their young. Yeah, don't like rush up and try and pick up a baby owl. Like they're probably okay. Yeah. But the, the branchers are a good 
time of year when we see these babies come in and yeah <laughs> it was like just sitting on the ground though <laughs> but they can hang perpendicular on a tree so they're they most can. likely fine on their own most likely a good rule of thumb is to leave them for a 24 hour period yeah, for mom and dad to come back unless you, you see keep like, an eye on them but unless there's like blood yeah, like something terrible going on. Something obviously wrong with the animals. Yeah. And you can pursue help from a licensed rehabber. Mm-hmm. You can consult them and, and what needs to be done. And usually they're good, though. We want them to grow up and learn on their own through trial and error. So, yeah, let's give them the chance. They got to <laughs> find their way back up there eventually. Yep. So. So branchers. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so as Amy said, mom and dad are most likely nearby, kind of keeping an eye out on those young. They're going to give threats to you. It can be exhibited through bill clapping. Um, that's mm-hmm. the sound that we heard at the very beginning of this episode. That was actually a juvenile screech. Um, but it, it, that bill clapping is also exhibited with the adults and it can snap a finger <laughs> yeah <laughs> they have very strong beaks so yes. don't go trying to reach out to any snow any sort of owl yeah um but they'll also hiss and they'll make like a guttural barking grunting sound and <laughs> they'll scream just like that baby did um if it's truly escalated and the owl feels like that threat is not going away, then they're eventually going to spread their wings and they're going to take off after whatever it is that's provoking them. And they're going to strike them with those strong talons Mm -hmm. and they may continue to dive bomb and chase that threat if they feel like it's needed. (laughs) Um, So something that I thought was interesting is not that long ago in North Carolina. So we're located in Chicagoland. Mm-hmm. Not our territory, but sometimes stuff like this does happen. Mm-hmm. Um, in a neighborhood, there have been a series of joggers that have been attacked by a great horned owl. Oh, no. <laughs> and the HOA released a statement and some wildlife experts chimed in mm-hmm. and said that the Kind of the common denominator amongst all of these joggers was that they had a swinging ponytail. And if you think about the diverse diet of this owl, yes. that can be misconstrued as perhaps a squirrel. Mm-hmm. Um, so the wildlife experts kindly suggested that maybe these joggers wear some hats. But it's, you know, regardless, it's important to note that uh, one of the victims made a comment she was more terrified than she was harmed um she did have some hair that was ripped out of her head Mm. (laughs) but for the most part she was not injured i mean if you think about the grip of these talons it takes 28 pounds to open them yes and if that animal wants to cause some damage it Truly could have injured her scalp very severely, but she only had red marks. And we have people that are scared of birds listening to this and they're like, that's it. That's my validation that birds are the scariest thing ever. And, you know, Hannah mentioned this doesn't happen. No. Regularly. These birds do become more territorial when they're breeding. They have something to protect. Makes Mm -hmm. sense. Um, And just give them space. Give them the space that they need because... 
they're trying to raise young. They're trying to battle all of the elements and obstacles that come with that. And for everyone's safety and sanity, <laughs> um, just try not to get too close to them. Right. We don't want you hurt. We don't want the owl hurt. So. And yeah. you think about the timing of it. Like it's early fall. Mm-hmm. That could have been a juvenile. Yeah. Or even, you know, an adult that's trying to claim territory entering into yeah. mating season if it was late enough, I guess. But yeah, it's hard to say. Just respect the wildlife around you. It's nice that the HOA, though, you know, came out and worked to resolve the issue rather than. Yeah, I mean, in their in their issued statement, they did mention that these birds are protected under the Migratory Bird Act. Mm -hmm. So you can't remove them. You can't euthanize them. Mm -hmm. They're here to stay and we need to coexist with them. Yeah, totally. So, you know, along those lines, great horned owls are common, widespread throughout America. And they have stable populations that rise and fall naturally with the availability of prey. Okay. Um, they're yeah. least concern conservation status. Love so that. not too much we have to worry about. Yay. It's important to have them around um, because they do, you know, eliminate those pesky nuisance mm-hmm. rodents that are found. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Like small mammal populations, they can... Yeah, get out of control very quickly, and as much as we love them, that can be very problematic. So right. we need species like owls to help keep those in check. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're a good bioindicator of how healthy an environment is. Oh, we have so many bioindicators. Who would have thought? <laughs> they're all so important. That's awesome. So it's great to have them around. Hopefully, we can continue. Seeing yeah, them. yeah. If you're looking to uh, people that have like small mammal issues on their property tend to um, want solutions for that. And actually attracting birds of prey is a strong solution. Um, yeah. I you mean, can, you can buy nesting platforms and yes. boxes. Yes. And I, I just think they're great additions. Yeah. And it's a great experience to watch them nest and raise young. Um, I would definitely encourage it. We don't have like a specific site at this time to recommend, but Support your local carpenters. Um, yeah. Do some research. See who would be willing to help out. and Maybe get crafty on your own. Yeah. yeah. They like pine trees from what I can best guess. That's what I've always seen them in. Around here. I Around here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tall trees with a covered area. Yes. Anything that's going to protect their young. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else for us? No, not that I can think of. All righty. Um, my resources that I used are Audubon and Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Yes. With a touch of National Geographic. <laughs> All great solid resources if you're yes. ever interested in checking out any sort of wildlife, but especially birds. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. Um, I guess I'll sign us off. We've got Twitter and Facebook at Cuckoo Podcast. Find us on there. Social media, pretty simple. <laughs> um, we have a Gmail account, hello cuckoo podcast at Gmail. All three mediums we use to communicate. So if you're looking for future episodes, um, if you have any comments you want to share with us, stories, requests, just message us on one of those. We'll get to you. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, today we recorded on Anchor FM, as always. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess that's all I got. 
Thank you for listening. Thank you. Have a great day.